Hello, and welcome to the Health in Europe podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bianchi. We've launched this podcast to bring you the latest on WHO's work in the European region. Our region is broad and diverse. From the mid-Atlantic and stretching as far as the Chinese border, we work with fascinating and driven individuals and groups. This podcast is about hearing their stories and how they might impact your day-to-day life. Screening for diseases, including cancer, might seem like a no-brainer. With more and more technology entering the field of health, wouldn't screening offer a quick, easy, cost-effective solution to catch any number of diseases? In reality though, screening is far more complicated. Ahead of World Cancer Day, a new guide on screening for cancer explains that WHO recommends screening for a very small number of cancers, cervical, breast and colorectal. This is because screening is generally used to pick up asymptomatic people and in some cases leads to overdiagnosis. Once a cancer is diagnosed through screening, treatment generally begins. However, taking such a broad approach means it's possible some cancers are detected that may not develop into something serious, leading to treatment that may be unnecessary. This isn't to say that screening should be abandoned for these cancers, but instead that prevention and early diagnosis should be prioritised ahead of screening. Prevention means reducing the risk factors for cancers, such as vaccination against HPV for cervical cancer, changes in diet for colorectal cancer, and reducing alcohol consumption for breast cancer, while early diagnosis can mean education around symptoms or a strong health system to treat cases as they emerge. In short, screening isn't a replacement for prevention and early diagnosis. It's a complicated topic, but one that's important to get to grips with. In this episode, I speak with Maeve, a communications consultant working with WHO Europe, to find out more. How many types of cancer does WHO recommend that we screen for? Well, this might come as a surprise, Greg, but WHO recommends organised screening pro- uh, programmes for three types of cancer only, breast, cervical and colorectal cancer. Uh, you're right, that, that is quite surprising. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem that many, at least, at least to me. So, I mean, how were these identified and, and could this number increase at all? Okay, good question. So the new WHO Guide on Cancer Screening um, divides cancer types into three categories. So we have those cancers for which there is strong evidence for high quality organised screening programmes. And they're the three mentioned, breast, cervical and colorectal cancer. Then they've identified those for which there is ongoing research in screening to establish if they are effective. And the third group then are the types of cancer for which there is, um, they're just, they're not even under consideration because uh, the benefits are not expected to outweigh the harms of screening. And you have to remember, um, when we're talking about screening programs, we're talking about using significant resources. So it's really important to know that the screening program will be effective and that it represents a good use of resources. And then, as I mentioned, there are also health harms associated with screening. Uh, Sometimes that, you know, I don't think there's huge understanding of those harms and they need to be better understood and weighed up against the benefits. And all of this requires evidence to establish if a screening program is the best course of action. 
I mean, you speak there a little bit about about harms and and uh, you know how that plays into this. But um, but if we have the technology to screen for cancer, wouldn't it make sense to just screen just to be on the safe side? I mean, what are the real downsides? Oh, it's it's such a good question, and it's one I, I have been thinking a lot about. Um, I found this uh, lovely quote uh, from WHO's 2020 guidance on screening, um, uh, and it's from Raffle and Gray, and they say all screening programs do harm. Some do good as well, and of these, some will do more good than harm at a reasonable cost. So that's quite profound because they're putting it up there front and center that this can, this is a, an activity that causes harm and, and we should be very aware of that. But we can, once the evidence is established, you know, the, uh, screening can be used in a way that it's beneficial to the population. So to answer your question, just because we have the technology, it doesn't necessarily mean we should use it for screening. No, um, there are loads of things that need to be considered um, before you set up a screening program. And it's really context specific, like, you know, what the prevalence of the uh, the disease is in your country, how many resources um, are available in that country for uh, a screening program, how strong or how integrated is your, your health system. Because, you know, it's important to remember screening is not just a simple test. We often think about it just as, you know, you're, you're called up and you walk in, you go and get your test. But that's actually only the very beginning of a whole pathway uh, that goes right the way through from testing to potential treatment and there are kind of ethical principles that underpin screening and 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 the most important one i believe is is the the principle that says you should not uh, set up a screening program if you cannot deliver all of those steps along the pathway and that makes sense you you, you shouldn't test for something that if, the, if there isn't treatment and diagnosis readily uh, available um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, screening itself can be um, harmful. So you speak about a care pathway. I mean, what, what is a care pathway in, in the first instance? And um, when might screening usually come in? And how can we improve early diagnosis instead of relying on screening? Great, great questions. So there's a lovely diagram in our new screening guide and it sets out all of the steps in what we call the screening pathway. And it starts with identifying the population eligible for screening. Um, because the evidence shows, you know, um, uh, that often a targeted approach to screening is more effective. You know, if there isn't high prevalence of a disease, for example, amongst a younger uh, population there is no point putting them through screening because screening causes stress and anxiety as well because you know you're taking healthy people and you're trying to um, identify uh, you know pre-cancers or, or cancers before they come um, dangerous so I'm just touching there I'll go back to the harms in, in, in a few minutes but just to go back to the screening pathway your initial step is identifying the population eligible for screening and then you, um, the screening program sends out an invitation with all of the information so uh, participants can make an informed decision. 
and then the um, service user, the participant will go along for, for, for screening and um, if there is a positive result they will be referred on uh, and that will be followed ideally by diagnosis, uh, intervention, uh, follow-up and you know reporting of the, of the outcomes. Um, within that and again this falls under the bracket of harm this theme of harm and, and this is a real focus of the screening guide because it's something that hasn't been fully addressed before um, we are more familiar with the concepts of false positives and false negatives now i think on account of um, our covid antigen testing and it's similar with um, screening you get false uh, positives and false negatives but of course the implications here are, are far more serious so those harms have to be borne in mind uh, as well so that's the the screening pathway on effectiveness can you explain what we mean when we speak about effectiveness and cost effectiveness of screening so when we're assessing kind of um whether screening for a certain cancer is worthwhile or not. Yes, we look at effectiveness and cost effectiveness. So effectiveness is essentially, is the screening doing what it was designed to do, i.e. is it reducing sickness and death from cancer in the population by early detection and, and early treatment? For example, uh, breast cancer screening, or, or is it um, succeeding in reducing the incidence of cancer by identifying and treating its precursors? And that's the case with cervical and colorectal screening. So they, they have slightly different aims there. So um, that, um, that is how we measure effectiveness. Cost effectiveness kind of looks at, you know, uh, compared to other ways that this money could be spent, you know, all of the demands in healthcare, does this particular expenditure represent good value for money? A, in terms of uh, the health return and B, its positive impact uh, on the population. And this is very important because in, for example, in resource limited settings uh, in countries where they have high rates of late cancer diagnosis, in fact, it's better to target resources at early diagnosis than it is uh, in investing it in setting up a screening program. I know that sounds kind of surprising because you were like, why would you not catch it like early on? The other, I think, really important point here, and I, I nearly came to it, is, is this, this statistic. For every one woman whose life is saved by breast cancer screening, three are going to undergo treatment for cancers that would never have harmed them. So the technology is picking up on cancers but there, a lot of cancers never develop. You have tigers and pussycats. And the problem with cancer screening is you don't know when you do the screening, it's not going to tell you if it's going to develop into a tiger or a pussycat. So, so you treat it. But a lot of them will never become harmful um, to the person. A lot of people um, get sick or die with cancer, not of cancer. Um, and that's not a small statistic that three will undergo treatment that is invasive that can cause other huge harms to health again like these are the these are the harms um and and it's very important to remember you know with this technology uh, there is the risk of overdiagnosis and as a result of that over treatment 
The statistic that Maeve mentions that for every woman whose life is saved by breast cancer screening, three undergo treatment for cancers that would never have harmed them, comes from a study of breast cancer screening in England, which reported an overdiagnosis in the English programme. Depending on rates of breast cancer, this figure may differ in other countries, but it shows how screening can result in overdiagnosis. Maeve explains more. But to put you on the spot, we recommend screening for breast cancer, despite that statistic. Yes, for certain cohorts. For, for, for certain cohorts and in certain um, countries, it will be different. Because as uh, Sue Cohen is one of the main authors of the report, she, she made the important point. She actually, prevalence of breast cancers is different in different countries. The, the rates of breast cancer are not kind of standard across countries. That, that's kind of surprising. I, I hadn't, you know, fully uh, thought about that. So, um, so again, th- th- this goes back to the point that, yeah, screening, it's so context specific. Um, your country, your resources, your, your rates of the disease. Um, there's another great example she gave of the, the danger, say, of overdiagnosis um, in a in a lower income country where there is um, where there are high smoking rates and a high rate of lung disease there are proposals to bring in um, screening for lung cancer but if you go back to the principles the principles are you have you have to you know you should have exhausted all uh, uh, strategies for prevention before you get to screening and again that second principle that you need to have the resources to treat if you're going to screen. Um, so y- y- you can see where it gets, where it becomes, this is all very complicated and not straightforward. Um, and, and it's why I would encourage and invite people to um, be you policymaker or member of the public. I, I think this new guide is a very accessible, uh, easy to read, um, summary of uh, of kind of the concepts behind screening and some of the issues as well. Thanks Maeve, I'm sorry to put you on the spot in that last one <laughs> but I think from what you're saying it sounds um, like you said, and I think it was in your first answer or your second possibly about the cohorts and the the context you find yourself within so uh, that again I mean I would imagine with with something like breast cancer if you have a and I'm totally generalizing here, I'm not basing this on any knowledge, but if you were to have, say, an older um, population, your rates of breast cancer are probably higher than if you had a younger population. And maybe there's certain risk factors, like you say, with smoking, I think is a brilliant example. If you're going to have a, a higher rate of, of smoking, then it's not all that surprising you're going to have higher rate of lung cancers. So actually, maybe it is a good idea to screen for lung cancers in that country where smoking is high. Actually, no, just on the last point, they're saying... They're saying the opposite. They're saying if your population, if, if lung cancer is so prevalent and that means they're, they're past the stage of screening, as in, so if you have limited resources, screening is, is for where you already have a really good health system and you're already catching your symptomatic people. Then it's like, okay, now we can move to pre-symptomatic people and try and catch them in the early days. But it's not a, um, a substitute for prevention. And if a country doesn't have strong tobacco control policies in place and yet are proposing 
to wheel out screening for lung cancer, that, that, that will totally drain public resources. Like to set up a screening program is a massive investment because as I said, you, you have to have all of the, the treatment um, capacity available as well. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why you would not set up a screening program in, in that scenario. It's, it's some of this is quite counterintuitive. It definitely is, but that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. That yeah, if you think the prevalence is that high, why would you even bother screening? Because uh, because the prevalence is you, high. You need you want to target on uh, prevention and uh, early diagnosis. That's the guide is very clear on that. In low income settings where there aren't many resources, focus your resources on early detection, which is catching people who are symptomatic at the early stages rather than using your resources on a population who are not symptomatic. That's all we have time for. Special thanks to Maeve for taking part in this episode. If you'd like to find out more about cancer screening, you can do so on our website or via the show notes. Make sure to leave us a rating, and if you like what you've heard, recommend us to a friend or a colleague. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.